Well, Madison Church, it is good to be with you today. I'm so glad to be a part of the team and so glad to be a part of an amazing church. Several years ago, I lived in Nairobi, Kenya. And one of the great things about living in Kenya is that whenever anybody visited, you got to go on safaris. Now, I'll never forget the safari I went on when my brother and his wife visited. We went to all these different national parks throughout Kenya. We, we saw lions as close to our van as my hand is to my face. We sat in the middle in our van of a herd of elephants. We saw monkeys swinging through the trees. We even fed crocodiles. We went to the base of Mount Kilimanjaro and saw a breathtaking scenery. And so you can imagine how excited I was when the last stop on our trip, on our safari, was the best game park literally in the world, the Maasai Mara. I couldn't wait to see what it would be like. There was just one problem, though. It was rainy season. And the roads in the Maasai Mara aren't nice paved roads. They are dirt roads. And in rainy season, they turn into mud roads. And we had to drive through the park for one hour to get to our hotel on the other end of the park. We got through a few tenuous spots uh, on the roads. And then we got to what was this huge mud puddle. Actually, it was more like a mud lake. And I asked our driver, you're not actually going to try to go through that, are you? And he said, Hakuna Matata, don't worry. I've got this. I learned in that instance that our driver was a very good liar. He didn't get through it. He didn't even get halfway through it because the moment he tried to get through it, the tires stuck in the mud and it was like the mud became cement around the vehicle. He said, this isn't good. I said, I know. That's kind of obvious. He then got out and took a look at it. Then he said to us, you need to get out of the van and help me dig this vehicle out. Now, that may seem like a normal request in a situation like that. But remember, we were in the Maasai Mara. It is illegal to get out of your van in the Maasai Mara. And the reason is, is because there are lions in the Maasai Mara, and lions eat stupid tourists who get out of their van. And so I said to him, I'm not getting out. And he said, you don't have an option. You're getting out because I need your help. So after praying a prayer, Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no lion, for you are with me. I got out. We started digging the tire out of the mud. About 50 minutes into this, I noticed in the grass uh, uh, beside me, the grass that's almost as tall as I am, I noticed some movement a little bit down the road. I didn't think much of it at first, but then there was more movement, and out of the grass came a hyena. And the hyena was walking straight towards us. I feel a lot like I did in that moment. Things were going great. Your job was great. Your marriage was great. Your relationships were great. Your financial security was great. Your health was great. The scenery was great. In fact, it was beyond great. You thought it was going to only get better. But then something happened. Maybe you drove yourself into the mud. Maybe circumstances just happened in your life. And now the job you once loved is now a nightmare. The relationship you once had is now broken or non-existent. The financial security has now been robbed by, by COVID. What was once breathtakingly beautiful has become a nightmare. And you're stuck in the mud. Today we're in a series called That's Messed Up, where we're studying the life of Joseph. And for the first part of his life, things were breathtakingly beautiful. You may remember the story that Joseph was one of 12 boys. Now, that's crazy enough, but his dad, Jacob, saw him as his favorite son. 
Now, I know parents always say they don't have favorites, but, but Jacob actually did have a favorite. It was Joseph. And to prove that, he gave Joseph this robe of royalty, this robe of many colors. And he didn't make Joseph work with his other brothers out in the field. Instead, he kept him close to home. Things were great for Joseph. Things were going as, as good as he could imagine, even better than he could imagine. And then he has a dream one day. He thought this is even better. He dreamt that his brothers were bowing down to him. Now, Joseph isn't the brightest bulb out there. He thought it would be a good idea to go tell his brothers about this dream. And so he goes and tells his brothers about this dream. And in that moment, he drives straight into the mud, actually literally into a pit. So his brothers are ticked off and they take his robe. They tear that off of him because they're so jealous of him. They throw him in a pit and then they sell him to Egyptian merchants as a slave. And Joseph, for 13 years, is stuck deep in the mud, first as a slave. He starts to work in a, in a house uh, run by a guy named Potiphar. And there, in that moment, a hyena pops out, but literally more Potiphar's wife, who tries to seduce him. And Joseph says no, but as a result, she lies about him and gets him thrown in jail. And Joseph is stuck wondering if he's going to have the strength to go on. Let me ask you, where are you stuck? Where do you feel like things aren't getting any better? And the weeks have turned into months, and the months maybe have turned even into years. And things just aren't changing, and you don't know if you can take even one more step. And what do you do when you're stuck in the mud? How do you get out? Well, there are a few things I want you to know today. And the first is this, that when you're stuck in the mud, see that God is close to you. See that God is close to you. He is with you. See, here's our problem. So often when we are stuck, we can't see God and we say, God, where are you? God, where did you go in my job? God, where did you go in my marriage? God, where did you go in my relationship with my kids? God, where are you? See, it's easy when things are going well to say, there's God. But the moment things don't go well. The moment we get stuck, we say, not there's God, but where's God? But here's what God wants us to know, and don't miss this. When we think God is furthest from us, he's actually closest to us. That when you and I think God is furthest from us, he is actually closest to us. David knew this. He would write this in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. What David is saying is simply this. When you think God has actually stepped away from you, know what he is doing. He's stepping closer to you. That's what Joseph learned. Look at what it says in Genesis 39, beginning verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, what happens next? Did the Lord leave him? Did the Lord take a break from him? No, the Lord, and this is the key phrase, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord, here it is again, was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was learning that simple truth that when God seems furthest from you, he is actually closest to you. And it's not that he was just close to Joseph, comforting Joseph. No, it says that he granted Joseph favor. In the tough stuff, God actually granted him success. It doesn't mean Joseph didn't still want to get out of there. Of course he wanted to get out of there, but he learned that God was using him for favor, giving him favor in those tough situations. And this is huge. 
Because when things get tough and we get stuck, God not only comes close to us, he does good in us and for us in the midst of it. We just have to look. Some of you know my story. I shared it a few months ago on, uh, here at Madison Church. And I won't bore you with the details of it again. But for the last couple of years, I found myself stuck in the mud, deep in the mud. What I thought would be weeks turned into months, turned into years. And as I've been stuck there, I've had to wrestle with things I never thought I'd have to wrestle with. The loss of my job, the loss of my income, the loss of some close relationships, even my marriage. And there have been many days when I didn't think I could take another step. I just had no strength left. But each morning, I decided to get up early and spend time in the Psalms. And those words of David that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted became a lifeline for me. In fact, every morning I, I sit in my chair, but I also put an empty chair next to me to remind myself that my Heavenly Father, my Papa, is there. And it's hard to even put this into words because it's kind of a mysterious thing that happens. But I can tell you it's in those moments, those sacred moments early in the morning, that I feel my Heavenly Father with me in the mud, in the prison that I found myself in. But then something else happened. I started to look around in my life and I started to see that even in the midst of the pain, God not only was there, but he was showing me favor. Yes, I had lost my financial security and my steady income, but God provided miraculously through other people. Yes, I had lost some close relationships, but I had new relationships form that were great and life-giving. My relationship with my parents, my brother, my kids were closer than ever before. God's favor was all around me. I just had to look. Let me ask you, in those places in your life where you're stuck and you're not sure if they will ever change, do you know that God is with you? Because he is. But not only is he with you, he is working for your good. He is going to show you favor in that. You just, you just have to look. See, when you're stuck in, your, in the mud, God is close to you. But there's the second thing, and it's this. When you're stuck in the mud, you need to allow God to change you. You need to allow God to change you. See, when it comes to situations where you feel stuck, the first prayer we often pray is this, God, change this for me. God, change this for me. And that's a fine prayer. God says we can pray that prayer. But maybe the prayer we should pray isn't just God, change this for me, but God, change me for this. In other ways, God, use this situation to form in me something you couldn't have formed otherwise. That's what James talks about. He writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is saying this, those moments you feel stuck, those moments that you hate, those seasons in life where you can't take one more step, God wants to use those, those moments to form in you something he couldn't have formed otherwise. It doesn't mean you have to like those circumstances. Nobody likes those. But you can consider it pure joy, as James writes, because something is happening in you. And don't miss this. What God does in you while you wait is as important as what you wait for. What God does in you while you wait is as important as what you wait for. Joseph waited for 13 13 stinking years. 13 years. But God didn't waste those years because waiting time is never wasted time. In the waiting place, God grows your trust in him and he asks you this one question, do you really believe that I am who I say I am? 
Do you believe that I'm enough? Can you trust me? You know, it's easy to nod our heads yes to this until we're still waiting for that relationship to get better. It's easy to say, yes, I can trust you, God, until we are still unemployed or underemployed a year later. It's easy to say yes until we still don't have the financial freedom that we used to have. But waiting demands we say yes before the yes actually comes. Waiting grows our trust. Waiting teaches us to persevere. Waiting makes us realize that we were never in control, even if we thought we were. Waiting makes us realize that maybe, just maybe for the first time in our life, we can grasp this fact that there is a God, and it is not me, and it is not you. Waiting means surrender. So let me ask you, where are you stuck in the mud? Are are you only praying, God, change this for me? Will you instead pray, God, change me for this? Because he will. When you're stuck in the mud, God will change you. But when you're stuck in the mud, know this. Know that God will use you. Know that God will use you. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself in my neighborhood in Milwaukee with my kids kneeling for nine minutes in silent protest against racial systemic injustice. And I thought as we were kneeling there, as I was looking out on the dozens of people that were there, I thought of the thousands of other protests going on around in our nation and around the world. But what was fascinating as I thought about that, I, I, I thought about how this moment in history, had it not been for the hard stuff of COVID, that people may not have given attention to racial injustice. Now, does that mean that COVID is a good thing? Absolutely not. It's horrific. And I pray every day that God will rid this world of it. But maybe, just maybe, it is an opportunity that God has used to wake up the white community when their eyes have a chance to look at social media for hours longer than they normally do. When they have freedom in their day to go to protests that they normally wouldn't think of attending. To wake them up, maybe for the first time, of the horrific systemic racial injustice that's going on in our world against people of color. God is using the hard stuff for good stuff. And he does the same thing in our lives when we're stuck in the mud. God will use the hard stuff for good stuff. It's what Joseph quickly learned when he was stuck in a place he didn't want to be, that God was going to use him. Now, I got to warn you, the story gets absolutely nutty. It gets crazy. And I encourage you to read it sometime in Genesis 40 because I'm just going to brush right to it. See, Joseph is in prison, and there's two guys there, the cupbearer and the baker. But they weren't just any cupbearer and baker. They were the cupbearer and baker to Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. Now, think about that for a moment. Do you think Joseph would have ever met such people of power before that? No, but prison allowed him to do that. And so these two guys have a dream one day. Dreams play a huge role in Joseph's life, and they can't figure out what these dreams mean. And Joseph notices that. Look at what it says in Genesis 40, verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they said. They answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And they do, and it gets even weirder. The cupbearer says, and I'm paraphrasing this, he said, I had a dream where I was squeezing grapes into Pharaoh's hands. And Joseph said, oh, that's great. In three days, you're going to get out of here and you're going to get back your original job. Things are going to go well for you. And the baker's thinking, well, if that's his interpretation, I can't wait to hear mine. And so he pipes up, Genesis 40, verse 16. 
When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And he's waiting in anticipation. He can't wait to hear what Joseph is going to say to him. And Joseph says this, well, in three days, you're going to get out of here too. But the way you're going to get out of here is Pharaoh's going to take you out of prison and he's going to impale your head on a pole. I mean, this is wacky stuff. You don't make this stuff up. But both came true. And what's fascinating is right before the cupbearer left prison, Joseph asked him to mention his name to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would reach out to him and release him from prison too. But then we read one of the most tragic lines in this story, Genesis 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, I know this story is weird and seems totally unrelated to what we deal with in our lives, but I think there's some key thoughts here of how God wants to use you even in the tough stuff. The first is this. Look at those who he's put around you as you're stuck in the mud. Because he's put people around you that you wouldn't have been around otherwise. It's what he did with Joseph, and it's what he wants to do with you. I could tell you of parents who have gone through the horrific, horrific pain of watching their adult son be addicted to opioids. And yet in that pain, they've met other parents who have reached out to them who are dealing with the same thing. I could tell you of my own story of pastors who have been through similar situations as I am or going through it or afraid of going through it who have reached out to me that I never would have met otherwise. I could tell you of a friend who's stuck in a job that's awful and she hates going there. And yet she knows that every day that she goes there, she gets to talk to a colleague who's going through a divorce and be a comfort for her. Does it mean their situations are easy? No. But God has put people in their lives. So who is it for you? Who has God brought you into your life in the mud that he wouldn't have otherwise? The second thing he wants you to do while he uses you is be willing to do the hard thing. Be willing to do the hard thing. Interpreting the cup cup bearer's dream was easy for Joseph, but interpreting the baker's dream was a hard sell. It was hard for him to even have the courage to do it, but Joseph did not shy away from it. And neither can we. Especially when we're going through our own pain, our own issues, it's easy to back away from the hard things God is asking us to do because we say, God, you know, I just need to get through this. But God's saying, you know, because you're going through the tough stuff, I'm going to help you do even tougher stuff. And so maybe it's helping somebody who is emotionally draining, even though you're emotionally drained yourself. Or maybe it means helping somebody out financially, even though your finances are a little tough yourself. Or maybe it means helping somebody with a broken heart, even though your heart has been broken itself. It means doing the hard thing, even when things are hard. And you do that, you are willing to be used, even if you stay stuck in your situation. Joseph remained stuck in prison for another couple of years because the cupbearer forgot him. So you don't do this to get out of your situation. You do it as an act of obedience to honor God. So let me ask you, when you're stuck, especially when you're stuck, will, he, will you allow God to use you? He wants to use the tough stuff for good stuff. So will you let him? But here's the final thing, and please don't miss this. When you're stuck in the mud, believe that God is going ahead of you. Believe that God is ahead of you. 
See, when you're stuck in the mud, you won't be stuck there forever. Joseph wasn't. Two years later, again, remember, dreams are a big deal for Joseph. Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. He doesn't understand what they mean. And so he mentions it to the cupbearer. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off in the cupbearer's mind. And it says this, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. And he remembers Joseph, and he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. And Joseph comes to Pharaoh and interprets his dream. And not only is that good that he's out of prison, but Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that eventually he elevates him to second in command of all of Egypt. See, Joseph experienced something about God, that not only was God with him in the mud, he was ahead of him on dry ground. He was preparing a place for Joseph that Joseph could not get to himself. I love what Moses later says to Joshua. The Lord himself, now don't miss this, goes before you and will be with you. He will never forsake you, never leave you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. See, what Moses knew, what Joshua knew, what Joseph knew is that is what God wants you to know today. That you don't have to be afraid when you're stuck in the mud. God is with you, but not only is God with you, he has gone ahead of you. He's 10 steps ahead of you. If you're like me, you try to figure out those next 10 steps. I remember talking with my therapist about a year ago, and I felt overwhelmed and paralyzed by all the things I was stuck in. I was trying to figure it all out, and I was just babbling on and on to him. And he just looked at me, and he said, Jason, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Why are you trying to control something you have no control of? Why are you trying to play God? You don't know the next 10 steps. God's got that. But what you can do today is to take the next good, right, and healthy step. And what my therapist said to me, I say to you, you're not God. You're not supposed to figure out the next 10 steps. God's got that. But you can take the next good, right, and healthy step. Your only job is to trust God that not only is he with you in the mud, but he's gone ahead of you onto dry ground. And your job is just to take the next step today. I think that's why Winston Churchill famously said, when you're walking through hell, keep on walking. Just keep on walking. Take the next step. You don't know the next 10 steps, but take the next step. You may not know where you'll end up working. God's got that. But you can fill out an application today. You may not know how that relationship will end up. God's got that. But you can send that person a text message today. You may not know where God wants you in the future. He has that. But you can serve your church, your community, your family. Today, you can take that step. And then tomorrow, you can take another step. And then after that, another step. And soon you will realize that you're not in the mud anymore. That you're up on dry ground. And this time, because you allowed God to change you and use you while you were in the mud, this time you're a different person. This time, maturity has formed in you. This time, grit has formed in you. This time, perseverance has formed in you. This time, trust has formed in you. This time, empathy has formed in you. And in the end, you look back at the time you're stuck in the mud. And you can thank God for the mud.